the world's wind industry is gathering in Melbourne this August. Join them at the APAC Summit to discuss collaboration, market building and solving supply chain challenges in the expanding APAC market. Buy tickets at apacsummit2023.com.au Hello listeners, my name's Stuart Mullen. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at the Global Wind Energy Council and this is a special GWIC podcast series. Uh, we're trying to get some of the speakers who are going to be present at the APAC Offshore Wind and Green Hydrogen Summit in Melbourne on the 29th to the 31st of August uh, this year to jump on the line with us and have a give a bit of a sneak peek or a sneak preview to some of our uh, panel discussions that we're looking to have at the conference and today I am joined by David Karaskosa from Saytech who is the Chief Operating Officer. David, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, thank you very much and looking very much forward to, to the event uh, later in August. Perfect. So for those people listening that don't know much about Saytech and your off, uh, floating offshore wind operations, can you maybe shed a bit of light about the scope of your company and maybe how you guys are seeing the APAC region? Yeah, uh, so looking backwards, it's been already more than 10 years we're involved in, in floating offshore wind. Um, I think we've been one of these uh, crazy pioneers uh, looking into deep waters when uh, obviously the the maturity of uh, the bottom was still growing uh, in, in North Sea and, and then elsewhere. Uh, but yeah, we we saw a, a great potential for floating offshore wind, and and that's why we uh, we pushed ourselves to um, yeah to develop an innovative technology um, based in in, in probably uh, a different background, um, looking more out of the box of the uh, oil and gas approach, um, and that's what we've been doing uh, throughout these these latest years. So. Uh, working on a on a more uh, civil engineering related uh, technology um, using concrete as main construction material and yeah providing as I said a different approach to the challenges that floating offshore wind provide. So hopefully we would be able also to showcase some of these uh, during the the event in Melbourne. Fantastic. So if you've been in the floating space for 10 years, you would have seen it through its infancy. I think that we have seen a lot of prototypes and a lot of pre-commercial projects come online or start to come online. And we are still, I guess, looking to drive scale in uh, some markets. And I believe that the APAC market is exceptional for floating offshore wind possibilities. Is that how you guys see the picture as well? For sure. Uh, I think one of the, the proofs um, we we target uh, APAC as, as one of the, the key markets is is actually the, the launch of our first subsidiary back in 2018. And that was Saitek Offshore Japan KK. So um, we very soon down, down the line um, looked into the uh, into the APAC, uh, starting from Japan, but we are also very active in in Australia. We are part of a of a framework program called Blue Economy CRC, which is kind of a, a global program tackling, let's say, challenges in in the in the blue economy field. Um, 
we have also a subsidiary in, in Australia. Uh, we we're looking into uh, into South Korea, how big the opportunity is, is growing there. And now more and more emerging emerging markets, as we usually say in SciTech, um, floating offshore wind has the potential to globalize offshore wind. Sure. You are not looking uh, anymore to say the perfect storm of low depths and good wind resource. You just need good wind resource and, and you can forget about this limitation of depth uh, with floating offshore wind. So the question of scale has long been associated with floating offshore wind and you mentioned that you guys have been uh, developing some concrete uh, floating foundations. Uh, what about, how does that stack up into the steel that we normally see and uh, how, how and does that actually have any advantage, for example, in generating local content? Is it easier to produce? Can you get scale from the creation of these foundations quicker using a concrete foundation? What's some of the logic behind going for concrete or cement? Yeah, you're you're going in the in the right direction with with these latest <laughs> statements. Um, we're not saying that we are we are going to to substitute uh, okay. um, steel floaters. Uh, uh, we were more in the line of saying, okay, if we want to reach the the milestones, the roadmaps that we are we're seeing along Europe, APAC, US, we need several supply chain to be pushed, to be activated. Um, there is countries, um, and, and it's the case of, of South Korea, where shipyards. Uh, and, and steel manufacturing is very well established, but there's also uh, some some cases where um, it's not that straightforward to to see where mass production of steel floaters will 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 become a reality soon. However, uh, civil engineering construction is everywhere. Um, we've we've seen. In, in all these countries, how big uh, concrete infrastructures have been made. So the beauty of concrete is um, you can utilize the the local supply chain, the local labor. Uh, you don't need specific roles or or specific or specialized labor in in very advanced uh, welding, uh, or you don't need protected atmospheres. You need space import, which is not given like a, a precious uh, one but once we we get that space import we can quickly uh, enter into mass production through through precast processes uh, through uh, let's say using again the heavy lifting equipment that you use in in the the civil works same for the formworks same for the rebars so it's it's more kind of a, a traditional way of, of making structures, right? So so we will benefit from that. We are also benefit from benefiting from a, a very cost-effective material, which is a concrete uh, cost-effective, but also less volatile that uh, compared to, to steel. And, and obviously these days where we are seeing projects being developed for eight, 10 years, uh, you want your your budget uh, and your your financial uh, studies to to be based on on kind of credible uh, figures, right? And and if you can avoid uh, introducing 
too much uncertainty due to the vol volatility and inflation of, of cost in your raw materials. I think that's also a very interesting advantage. Yeah, that's really interesting. You kind of answered my next question already, but for a market like Australia, which is geographically a long way from the rest of the world and Australia is very keen to establish a supply chain and work out you know, how to realise the ambition that they're talking about for Australia in terms of offshore wind and particularly floating offshore wind in some of the particular zones. I just wondered how that sort of plays into it sounds like you don't really need to be connected globally you could there's enough ways with within your technology to be able to do this locally no matter where you are in the world we are we will still be facing challenges um the amount of towers you will need to produce the sure. amount of turbines yeah. uh there is obviously the the mooring the mooring element right which is uh still something to be uh, to be understood um we we are using uh, let's say world-class suppliers from from the oil and gas, uh, but it's it's not any any more about producing a mooring system for a single uh, floating platform. Uh, you will have dozens of, of them, right? So yep. so everything is bigger in in the in the floating wind environment. You also face you will also face the uh, the challenge of uh, probably a shortage of, of vessels for for installations but when it comes to the um the construction of the the floater itself yes i, I would agree you can start production in a, a, a in a short uh, term in a yeah much shorter period of, of time when when compared to the implementation of a, a mass production hub uh, for steel floaters that's for sure yep I noticed also that you have been, at least in the business social media, like on LinkedIn, in the past, you've also spoken about port challenges and the, the what that's going to do for industry and how industry needs to solve those. And I think it's fair to say that in GWIC, you know, we see vessel tail challenges and port challenges and grid infrastructure challenges. There's a lot of challenges in a lot of markets and particularly uh, as we start to really ramp up capacity uh, or ramp up demand for the capacity we need to make sure that we are addressing these challenges have you studied or do you have much of opinion about the australian ports for example or are there are there other markets within the apac area where you think this is great or other markets where you think yeah we'd really like to see some work started now to ensure that we have the port facilities we need by the time we get to implement our projects yeah we we know that uh, there are there are very interesting movements and, and commitments to, towards uh, ports in in Victoria and in, in New South Wales, where uh, things are starting to move to move in, in the right direction. Uh, but still, are areas uh, that will need some some development uh, in terms of dredging, in terms of uh, uh, yeah, uh, bearing capacity. Because uh, let's not forget that uh, these floaters are of the size of a football pitch uh, when when we we think of uh, 15 16 megawatt units and that needs some some bearing capacity uh, to to overcome let's say the, the loads that we are introducing into the into the sites also if there are let's say uh, some some technologies that are better suited than others in terms of having a, a lower draft there's still a need of uh, yeah uh, a key side uh depth of uh, at least 10 10 meters or or so so we we need to to work on on those 
civil works required for the yeah the optimization of, of the, the the infrastructures are costly and and take time not only in terms of of the execution but also in terms of permitting uh, because sometimes uh, these involve like a larger area gain to the to the sea and, and that as we all know involves uh, huge uh, permitting processes so we need to start now um uh, but yeah we're starting to realize that we will not be able to to have like a production in every city where there is a an, an offshore wind sure. farm and and then maybe we need to to create some hubs and and, and that is let's say organizing uh, the the production of, of floaters in in australia for uh, a certain region in in australia uh, same from from japan or or now that we are moving also and looking into the, the Philippines or, or New Zealand or so let's say having regional hubs will, will probably be the, the right way of, of thinking because you need to repay this investment into us. So the investment into the infrastructure in as much um, uh, floaters as possible. So if we turn our attention to the conference itself, we are actually bringing delegations from uh Korea, Japan, the Philippines, Vietnam, India, Sri Lanka, and we're in discussions with uh, the New Zealanders. There, there's uh, some they're, they're moving. They're about to have an election, so maybe on the in October. So maybe they can't uh, attend this year's conference. But uh, if you are looking to have discussions with governments at these uh, at the conference or just industry in general, what would you like to see discussed at the conference, and who would you like to speak with? Yeah, first and on on let's say on the, the the policymakers, I would like to see some some movements towards learning, uh, lessons learned from lessons learned from 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 Europe uh, mainly. Uh, it was interesting that a few months ago we we had the the energy department of uh, of Victoria visiting uh, several uh, several countries in, in yeah. Europe. I had the the opportunity to to be with the uh, the minister in in Madrid. Um, and and you feel like it's a, a very interesting approach because they are learning maybe not how to do things but uh, for sure how not to do things uh, in in some cases right yeah. uh, so so that that's obviously a, a very valuable uh, learning that that you can that you can have and then through that um, introducing uh, i think the um, these these learnings one one thing which is very important is uh, to be realistic uh, and not and, and to to think about what's the capabilities, what's what what can be done, and 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 what's maybe uh, a, a bit too ambitious. It's it's good to be uh, let's say uh, to have some ambition, uh, but some ambition that can be realized, right? and 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 that is something we've seen in in Europe uh, being a bit um, kind of overwhelmed when you. you hear about gigawatts and gigawatts from 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 all the countries thinking on on 2030 being kind of the end of the world okay there is something else uh, after after 2030s is these kind of political horizons you you see 2020 was also a, a kind of a, a very kind of um very high wall and, and everything should uh, be done before 2020 now it seems that 2030 is the, the new horizon I mean, let's let's look into into a, a progression, right? So again, um, projects with eight to ten years of development, um, we also need 
strong um, strong frameworks, legal frameworks, and uh, and and also uh, let's say uh, a good scheme of auctions, seeded uh, leasing, or or whatever the the, the mechanism big mechanism are, uh, but at least having a let's say a good structure for not not a very short term, but also the mid term kind of scheme and uh, commitments from policymakers because uh, it's it's very capital intensive uh, the i mean offshore wind in general but obviously floating offshore wind as well uh, and then we we need to create comfort and confidence in in the investors um and then and then on the on the supply chain um i i would be uh, very interested to see how they plan to to follow these uh, these opportunities what investments are they thinking about uh, we spoke about the the infrastructures but again um how how are we producing uh, all these these moorings all the electrical equipment uh, what's the strategy for for oems uh, what is the strategy for for bezel bezel owners and and mine operations um how can we leverage and and let's say balance and and benefit from from the let's say oil and gas experience in perth for example yeah. um so all these uh, these specific topics will will be very interested to uh, to, to, to speak about. Well, thank you for that uh, list. Looking through the program, we cover most of those in plenary, but there's always lots of opportunities for networking and getting involved in these conversations. David, we are out of time. Thank you very much for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you in Melbourne. Yeah, looking, looking forward to that. Thank you. Thank you.